0: This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs, Now, let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Detection at Scale. Today, I'm here with JJ Aga, who's the CISO at Compass, which is the largest real estate brokerage in the United States. Previously, he spent over four years as VP of InfoSec at WeWork, along with time as a security practitioner. So, JJ, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jack. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you yeah, know, welcome and hello to all the listeners.
0: You started to say before we hear record that you're really passionate about detection. And I wanted to understand your background on security. So I was hoping you could just give everyone listening in a, a quick scoop there.
1: Yeah. So it started off, I told this long winded story. So we'll try to keep it to two minutes. So keep me honest here. But when I decided to you know, graduate high school, and went to college, I changed my major nine times and just kept on changing my major. I want to do everything and anything. Didn't realize that there was an actual security program when I graduated. When I, graduated I graduated with an information science degree, started working as a help desk analyst. And at that first job, I started doing a lot of systems engineering and then quickly realized, oh, wow, there's so much within the IT world that I could start doing. And I got my first job working for Northrop Grumman as a security analyst. That's really was like, okay, security is a career. This is what I'm going to start doing. But going back early in my you know, life, even as a, in middle school and high school, it was all about ripping stuff off of LimeWire, just trying to get as many free games for my sacred Dreamcast, you know, trying to get free software. So security was always something that I was trying to, I was always involved in, but just didn't realize that that was actual career opportunity for me. And so as I graduated, so after I worked at North of Grumman, I started working at EdgeCast, and that was kind of really the start of my security career. It started off with more systems and networking security, and leading out kind of that vulnerability management program. Uh, then we started building out internal security products like the WAF and the DDoS platform of like Stonefish, they called it internally, and that was kind of thrusted me into the whole like appsec. It just became a passion about I want to know how everything and anything works and try to break it and manipulate it. And so going back to the detection, it then became such a fun game of, if I can break it, how can I detect it? If I detect it, what's the attribution of the individual? What's the motivation? So there's such a human element to security. And just also just from a detection perspective about how we are as defenders or as kind of the proactive attackers, if you will, you know what is the motivation, and partly, like as a defender, you could irritate the attacker so much to the point where that you're giving them more motivation to come after you, or they go, "Ah, it's not worth my time," and I move on. You changed
0: your major nine times.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I I went to three different colleges. So I first first started at a community college, and I was like, oh, I first started as a business admin. I was a CS major, marketing, and then just kept on flipping back and forth. I was a comms major for a little bit. So it just couldn't figure out what exactly I want to do and got accepted to FIT. I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to FIT. I'm going to do marketing for clothes. This is great. And I, but I was always doing something related to computers as a side hustle. I was always doing that to kind of make ends meet. And so that's really what really was kind of the 180. Like, oh, actually I can just do what I enjoy as a career. I never thought about that.
0: I changed my major once. I started as a computer engineer and then I went, into IT, which led me into security and then you know my career from from there. But like, man, nine times that's intense. So you said a lot of stuff that I really liked in that intro. One of them was understanding the human element of security. How do you think about the human element of security when it comes to running a team and being a CISO?
1: It's a great question. I think it's as you start hiring, so I think it depends on like the size of the team and I think the human element of what the team looks like, like running, and I'll use kind of an analogy, of like you have a basketball team of five people, you have a bench of six, so you have a team of 12. Or now you're running a baseball team and you have pitchers, you have catchers, you have a whole bullpen that you need to manage. It's up to 50 people. And so managing those different types of individuals, those different archetypes, it's dependent on the organization that you go to. But when you start looking at the people, it also requires you to hire different folks for the type of organization that you have, and what is kind of the security philosophy or the security challenge that you need to solve for. So I think when you then start overlaying that with the people, you want to make sure that you're hiring folks that are connected to those challenges. And then when you're actually hired, and they're you know sold on, no, that looks like a challenge I want to go after. It's the cultivating, right? Make sure that they're actually in power and in position to solve for those challenges right things that they were going to get excited about and so as i start thinking about you know hiring and building out a program and the people involved i just want to align what is your desire what are you excited about and then align that to what will actually have the most impact to the organization and if i could thread the needle and i get the you're really excited about this and i could maximize the impact to the organization that is kind of the win win for the individual Because after they're really excited about it, and then they delivered so much value to the company, they're like, wow, this is great. That's the feeling that as a manager, as a CISO, that I chase every day for my team. That's what motivates me. I can't be hands-on. I can't be tactical or operational.
0: I think that concept of learning what people are excited about, aligning that to the organization, that gives people so much driving motivation to just love what they do every day. So I, I respect you a lot as a, as from one manager to another for taking that mentality. It also reminded me of this concept in Japanese culture called ikigai. And I'm probably like killing the pronunciation of that, but it's basically this intersection of like doing what you love, what you're good at, what you can get paid for and what the world needs. And it seems like that mindset is like very, really helpful for managers who want people to have a great experience on their team. And it just helps people feel fulfilled. So I that very is- much subscribe to that.
1: That's the second time I've heard that, uh, the term this week. Well, over the last seven days. So I think it's a shift. I think we're all making in the world and and at greater from like a service oriented world, you know, philosophical service. But then you really start looking at it from a security perspective. That's really, you want people that are passionate about solving the problem because there's days. This is grueling. This is tough stuff. You have to be wanting to. You have the motivation to get better, to drive the best impact that you have. And then once you really get your skill sets uh, tuned to that, that's when you hit that kind of inflection point where you're really good at something and you really enjoy kind of the challenges ahead.
0: It's nice. It's a nice thing to find. It makes your days and weeks go by a lot faster as well, I think. So... Also, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about building versus buying. And I know that your team has really done a lot of really cool, innovative projects with detection. So I wanted you to give an overview to people listening. I'll
1: pick one that Ryan Glenn just worked on uh, from the team and we released kind of what that looked like over the last three weeks. But we have 30,000 agents plus on our one login platform. We have over 4,000, 5,000 employees that leverage our identity platform we had kind of a black box detection of anomalous MFA activity that was given from us from our service provider, and you can make the connection there. The amount of false positives and signal-to-noise ratio that we were getting from it, without understanding kind of how we could toggle the attribution and toggle kind of the uh, models that were being applied to the individuals, left us in a place where this signal and this, this kind of detection that we had was useless. And so Ryan and on the team were like, well, how can we actually solve for this, right? There's the MFA fatigue conversation, which we're going after as well. But it was like, how do we identify just anomalistic uh, logins? And we're just kind of in the space that we were not getting the right detection and signal-to-noise ratio that we really cared about. So we decided to go after it. And Ryan did a great job leveraging isolation forests and kind of just pushing, building out models per individual to get us a higher attribution so that not only are we detecting it, but we wanted to get to a state where we had such high confidence in the detection by either the human, we enriched the alert so much so that I, one of my engineers on the call could just look at it and respond immediately, or to the point where we felt confident enough to actually take an automated response action to it. Because that's like the, the holy grail. right? If you could automate it from end to end, and you could actually automate the response from, and have such trust to the detection that really gives us kind of the OODA loop and the, that constant feedback of getting better. From uh, actual, like not from a detection perspective, I think that like our our confidence level is probably over ninety plus from like an automation. But looking at the build versus buy the discussion, it's really I look at what is the team that we currently have state, what is their passion, is their skill set aligned, right? That will help me quickly make the determination of. Actually, let's just go buy it, right? I don't a I don't have the skill set with the team. Is the skill set sustainable? And is the right is this the right expectation for someone to build this specialized skill set, right? Is this something that we're going to constantly invest in? And kind of that's kind of the first barometer of like, all right, should we start really thinking about the build or even kind of the augment, right, of the build internally? And if I get to that point and I say, okay, I don't have the staff, I don't have the skill set, and for me to hire and sustain the skill set, like it's not possible. It's a quick discussion on, okay, let's go buy as we try to augment and try to build the right team to support the technology choice. right? Because from the technology choice, I don't want to get a partner. I don't want to get a software that if I'm buying, the team hates. right? Because how often have you walked into an organization and then you hear that this product's there and then you start rolling your eyes like, oh my God, I got to support this thing. And it doesn't come that love or that passion about every time you log into it. I'm sure... Everyone could attest to that one product that they go, no way, don't want to touch it. And don't even want to look at it from that perspective. Like RSA Archer or something like that. I don't I don't know what people will cry about, but those are the you things. just triggered
0: my PTSD. <laughs>
1: yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but then on the buy side, I think, hey, is this something that we need? We don't have enough extensibility for the platform. Do we need more extensibility for us to customize it to meet our business needs? And so I think when we start deciding on the build-out stage, it's does the build make sense both financially, are we going to have the right ROI if we start going down this path to build? Because the customization and making sure it's aligned to our business function, how the business operates, that's well worth it from the investment perspective. And then obviously you overlay it with the former questions of, do I have the right skill set? Do I have the right infra? Does this make sense from an investment? Right? I would always try to buy unless you. I have to be convinced to build internally. Just because at the current state, there's so many different players out there to help support what I need from a business, right? Whether it's a Series A or a Series D, E company, someone's willing to help support very specific use cases that a business needs.
0: That's probably a good segue into another question I had in my mind, which is, you know, in 2022, what are you usually looking for to, um, to meet the needs of... This or just any modern organization that you're you're uh, working for.
1: So we, we touched upon it before, but I think it's the integration, right? So everything right now is it's you're very SaaS heavy, and maybe the organizations that I'm um, I look to work at or I'm just drawn to. But if you look at kind of what happened with COVID and this pull forward of the convergence of the cloud and moving everything to SaaS providers, you want kind of what are your out of box. Integrations for your SID. So can you integrate with Google or O365 and give me feature parity to get all that log ingestion as much as possible from Slack and Teams to Facebook workplace? Can you just ingest the 200 plus applications or that I have within my SaaS environments kind of out of the box? Right. Because the, you never want to be at a state where now you have to bring in your own infra, your own collectors. And you're now managing it from that perspective. So I think one of the things is like ease of use. To get data ingested, and kind of the second aspect is like the ETL. Can you actually make use of data? So yeah, that's great. As a sim, you want to get as much data as a company, right? You just give me all your data, we'll make it work. Oh, sorry, we couldn't make it work, but no, we at least have you know two years worth of data. We need to get to a point where not only am I ingesting as much as I can, but I'm actually looking and have detective controls on a log events and events that I care about. So that I could actually take action on. So I think the other aspect is obviously like the detect, you know, the ability to create detections where I'm not just leveraging a you know blank. Uh, Here's a hundred detections out of the box. You just manage and make sure that you follow uh, you know a common information model and map all the different attributes to you know first name, last name, IP address. But it's like really enriching, like taking that initial set of detection rules having enough extensibility from a platform that I could write and create whatever else I want because I am better suited to writing what is the business operation, what is the business function, what is normalized for me as an organization to either modify or create new detections where the platform isn't brittle enough to fall over. And then three, it's really just extensibility. So if I want to manipulate or just leverage it however I want from a platform, I don't want to be stuck in your sim. Like, can I actually just leverage as much as I can with like detection as code, codified, you know, leveraging GitHub, just leveraging RCI CD so that there is a repeatable, scalable place so that we can, can treat cut the function of detection and response as any other, you know, engineering function within the organization?
0: I, that last sentence is super interesting to me. And I think it really does represent that shift from pure analyst, like live in the tool to. Treating security like an engineering team. When do you think that shift happened?
1: Maybe five, six years ago. I think it's there's been a large push of like maybe it started with the UEBAs and CASBs of the world in 2016. I think it's it's very timely. I'm not sure exactly when Panther was started off as as a project, but I think my mental switch was really around like the CASBs and the UEBAs of the world. You saw this large push in the middle of 2015, 2016 where, all right, we are going to ingest with all the SaaS providers, right? You're going to be identity provider, you're going to go to Google, we're going to help look at, right? Stuff. And that was their kind of first path to get all these SaaS visibility, right? these the stims in the previous world were always solving for your Fortinet, your firewalls, your AD logs, your Windows logs. And then if you try to solve for the SaaS side, all right, the only way to do that was, let me go get the CASBs and UABAs and I'll try to get that data ingested. So that convergence of those worlds, and you saw every single UABA and Casby company essentially pivots to becoming a, a SIM tool, because in order for them to be functional, they had to be a SIM tool. Once you got to that point, it was like, all right, well, all those detections don't work for me. Right? I can't use any of it. And I think programs are now asking, well, I want enough extensibility of your SaaS product that you're giving me to customize and create as much as I need. But I think there was Netflix really helped push my thought process from their sockless framework, medium blog. That was kind of the shift that I always had in the back of my head, where I was like, I want to get to a sockless framework. Yeah, you know, if I detect something, I want to immediately respond to it. And I think there's another quote, and I'm not sure exactly, and, and I might be misquoting this, but it was a term that was shared from other you know, peer CISOs of the idea that, I think it was Microsoft, one of their SVPs said, you know, if we were to detect something twice, I suspect we have to automate it the third time or maybe it's the second time. And so in order to get to that point, the idea is now to push the analysts or you know, carve out a career path for the analysts to start driving the best impact. And that's kind of the engineer path so that they can write detection as code. They can start thinking about automating the responses so that they can focus on more interesting problems. They can focus and get rid of the mundane tasks that they're doing day in and day out. And I use the term, as part of one of my tenets, is relentless iteration. right? And I'll, and I'll also say that there's no such thing, you know. don't let perfect be the enemy of good. We'll never be a perfect security program. You'll never have a perfect detection. You know, the idea is that you just have to constantly improve and iterate because you might have a new log set, you might have a new you know, different operators that are generating or emitting new logs that now mess up your, your model or your detection. It has to be a constant iteration and um, this iteration just improve. And so I think that's how my natural progression I've seen, but I was really kind of pushed from, I think it was Alex Maserati, or Maserati, it might be butchering his last name, that blog post from Netflix and the Sockless framework That was really influential to me. And I think if you look at everyone, Ryan from Slack as well had another post on Sockless Framework on detection of this code. Those were things that were influential. And I think they came out around the same time, maybe 2017, 2018, about how they were solving for it.
0: Shout out to Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I've uh, known Alex for a long time. So I'm glad that his post inspired you. That's awesome. I fully agree with everything you just said. By the way, I love the idea of relentless iteration, taking these mundane tasks and automating them. I mean, it definitely uh, struck a chord with me. That was effectively my career path. It was like, analyst, learned to write some Python, became an engineer. And I think if other people follow that as well, they up level their skills and they really start up leveling everyone's because the more engineers we have in security, the more cross-training naturally will happen. And the more mindshare will sort of increase around this idea of like, hey, let's let's get good at writing some basic software to make this job a lot easier. And I'm glad that you're a leader, you're a security leader, and you're also like taking and supporting this mindset in your own team.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've looked at also like there's the no code, low code pushes you're seeing from new companies as well. I think there is a place for that. But in order, uh, because you, you know, do I expect you to run any arbitrary Python code? Yeah, sure. And I did a very similar path as an analyst. And I was like, holy, you know, how do I make my job easier? Okay. Let's get really good at bash and shell scripting. Mm-hmm. All right. Actually, uh, I want to supercharge it a bit. I want to start messing around with APIs and endpoints. Okay. Start picking up Python because that's what everyone was telling me to learn. So I picked it up because I really wanted to start to push, uh, kind of just automation of my job so that I could go focus and solve for the really interesting problems. And so I agree with you that like that trials and tribulation of like, I had to do it. It was awful. It was started off with data CSV lookups and manipulations, and then just was kind of like a snowball effect of like, what else can I do? What else can I do from that? But I think you'll see a push, and it'll be like workflow automation as a whole. But you can't automate something you can't codify from a logic perspective, right? And so, yes, you might not know the syntax of Python 3 or or writing Go, but do you understand how just the basic logic of a function should work? Can you put that into paper? Can you tell the software what to do? And, and you can't solve for that basic means, whether you're an engineer or an analyst, that's the crux where you'll just be stuck looking at a data set and then looking at a runbook to then take action on it, right? We should all be striving and pushing towards, well, actually, I know what the analyst should be looking for. I'm going to automatically detect that. And then based on the runbook response, I'm going to automate it. Up to a point, but I don't, you're never going to get to a place where you 100% automate. It just never exists. But how do you make it to a point where the human that reads it, whether they're an engineer, analyst, admin, or the actual user that triggered it, understands the detection and knows exactly what they should or should not be doing?
0: Let's talk a little bit about the macro environment that exists this year with the economy being down and people tightening up budgets and things like that. As a security leader, how do you think about balancing the cost of your detection program with the needs of your security team?
1: So one of the actually funny because one of our engineers, the detection team, has a lot of interest in that. And he's spending time on actually codifying and you know, as part of our detection as code, we, we make sure that everything is codified and it all is within GitHub and has a corresponding uh, runbook. run book. And so it's part of kind of the health and hygiene of our detections. But also now we're taking kind of the cost of the detection to every single detection alert that you can get so you can understand kind of if we were to respond to this alert or this alert gets generated, what is the actual cost to it? So hopefully, I'll shout out to Greg, hopefully one day we'll be able to share kind of that information out widely. But that's how I think at the most granular level we're looking at. But more like from a strategy perspective, it's really figuring out kind of what is the ROI, right? What is the time spent? And it'll be basic, simple questions like the MTTR, how many alerts, what is the throughput. right? Like, does it meet the basic SLAs for the what I've promised the business of how we're going to respond to what the actual business needs from a response time? Like, I'm not going to create an arbitrary. All right, every step three has to be responded in two hours, right? They go, yeah, okay. If I do that, I need a 300 person security log. Like, well, that doesn't make sense, like Because for what we're actually going after. So I think first it's alignment to what, you know, the SLAs and business agreements, your SLOs to the business that you have. And then second, it goes, it's the conversation. I don't want to just like blanketly slap. It's about ROI. But at the end of the day, it is really trying to like, do you have enough data sets and data points to prove out that the investment that we're making internally is generating, whether it's deterring or reducing or remediating risk from the business? Is this actually taking Action and, and I would say very specifically meaningful action too often. It's like, all right, Hey, you go into a board meeting and you'll see someone, you know, board deck that says, these were the 10,000 alerts we responded to. It's like, you should have probably responded to two of them. Like, yeah, it's great that you showed me 10,000 alerts, but none of those were actually, you know, closed out and there, there's about actually like a nine false positive rate. So I think it, you have to start really digging into the, is this meaningful? Right. Whether it's the one or two, you know, critical incidents that you were actually automate to remediate, but looking at an aggregate, the MTTR. And so you know, are you reducing your time to respond as incidents increase? Because as a program, you're going to hire more engineers, you're going to have better detection controls. Do you see the incremental step of events uh, being categorized as incidents increasing? And can you actually maintain the MTTR? That's what I'm looking at right now. And I want to keep a steady state of MTTR as I increase the amount of events and throughput and telemetry I can ingest. That just shows that I'm in a state where I'm in a variable rate of throughput through the platform that I can then continue to pour on it. And, and by adding more events, adding more detections without increasing the capacity needed within the platform or the people, that just proves out, okay, I'm getting value from the platform and that's just at at the highest level.
0: I really like the data driven approach and this idea of like the cost of a detection because some of these detections can be extremely expensive on like very high throughput data and creating a framework for that I think is super smart. So kudos to you for for thinking about that. I'll I'll look out for that blog post whenever it comes out. (laughs) So I've really enjoyed this conversation today. I wanna end with a final question which is, to succeed in the future at leading modern security teams, what are three pieces of actionable advice that you'd give to other leaders or other teams listening in?
1: The one thing I'll start off is, is kind of empathy, right? And it, there's a word that gets thrown out a lot now, and, you know, there's conversations, yeah, you know, as, as part of like supportive, inclusive culture from diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But one of the real things is like, be empathetic to your team and your organization. That will make you a better business leader. That will make you a better leader. That will make you a better manager, a better mentor, a better sponsor, because you're not being sympathetic of, oh, I want to make sure that you're happy so that you have career progression. You truly understand and you're empathetic to the point where I know how you're feeling. These are the actions that I can take to help support you in your career. And then second, give feedback early and often. To be, you know, as as a leader, I try to just provide as much continuous feedback as possible. You don't want to catch anyone by surprise, and that's good and or bad. And I just try to keep it where I'm going to give you feedback, and you know, just it can't be personal. Just provide as much feedback as possible. Again, the good and the bad, and you'll figure out depending on the individuals how they want their feedback. It's going to be dependent on the org that you have. Are you a Slack culture? Are you email culture? Are you just let's chat, let's jump on a phone call? Is it on a one on one? But providing helpful feedback has always been something that I've taken and was helpful in my career. And I try to think about that when I'm supporting or building out a program. And then, third, as a leader, I try to stay as balanced as possible. And I am very much into kind of the yin and the yang of life. And I, I take that into the team. And that starts off with work-life balance, and that starts off with making sure that you have time for your personal life as well as for work. But it's also how I act and respond, right? Don't try to have high highs or low lows, because if you're coming to me, and as a team member, as a manager, you want to deliver safety, right? The I see the manager that's coming to you is looking for a sense of safety. And if they're going to come to me like, well, I hope my leader is in a good mood, or I hope they actually didn't have a bad night before because I have some news and I need their feedback and they have in their back of their mind that based off of the mood that I'm in will change how their response is. You've already lost trust to the the organization. So yes, it's trust, but in order to, to deliver and build that trust, it has to go like you have to be a place where you're balanced and there is a safety to the ICs and to the managers coming to you that will eventually get you to trust.
0: That was all great advice. JJ, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thank you, Jack. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website runpanther.io to sign up for a free trial you'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.